0: What's going on everybody, this is Black Men Sundays. I am your host Corey Murray, a show about generational wealth, financial wealth, anything wealth related for black men. Today's show is no different. We have brother Conrad Dimanche. For y'all don't know, he was the senior a Bad Boy Entertainment, you know Bad Boy Entertainment. Puff Daddy, Craig Mack, Biggie Smalls, Mary J. Blige, Black Rob. the list goes on. This brother has worked on over 20 albums. This brother has a Grammy and this brother has a multi-million dollar business currently. So think about it, you went from bad boy to his own millionaire empire. Welcome, comrade, to March the Black Men Sundays. How you doing, brother?
1: Thank you for having me, it's a pleasure.
0: All right, let's jump right into it, man. You have a seven-figure e-commerce Amazon business, man. Talk about pushing P, you doing that for real, man. How did that business start? Where did that idea come from?
1: Well, um, first, I think that I'll start with saying I'm serial entrepreneur by nature. Um, even when I got into the music business reading um, about people like Puff and Andre horrells and the Russell Simmons. Well, I realized that, you know, those guys were A&Rs, you know, um, and it was the A&Rs that most of them were able to go off and start their own label. So, you know, um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I left the traditional music business or music industry about 12 years ago. And what I started building was I left because I built uh, what's called a SaaS company software as a service. You know, it was a music related company. I did several SaaS related music technology businesses, probably for the past nine years prior to getting into e-commerce. Now, what led me into e-commerce is that the last music tech company, and it was an app that we built. Um, I reconnected. Well, one of my partners is a high school friend. I reconnected. You know, you have those high school friends that you ran with in high school. You know, um, so one of my p- current partners was a high school friend. We reconnected with a third one of us. This guy had retired, he was doing well for himself, he really loved what we were doing, you know, um, with this music app, we had some traction, you know, um, he decided he wanted to jump in, you know, and invest in the business. So he, and this is not a rich man, you know, he was an iron worker for a whole bunch of years and actually was on disability, but worked a long time and and retired. And he invested in us, gave us $130,000, which I did not take lightly. Um, We went to church together before he made the investment. I met his wife and sat with his wife and talked about the vision for the company. So we get the money, we're off and running. You know, we were already moving, but money in business always helps to propel things. You know, we started to grow, but I realized that we were going to run out of money. And when it comes to tech companies, you need money. To to really you know push and and get especially when you're talking about software as a service it's it's people paying monthly recurring billing as fast as they come out you have a percentage of them that drop out it's called churn you know so when I realized that we weren't going to be able to we're going to run out of money and potentially can't give my brother his return on investment, you know, which he's an investor, I'm not obligated to do that. But the type of person I am, um, I'm obligated to do that. So, you know, over the years, being a business guy, I've been to several Amazon, like workshops, you know, you'll hear about them, even where you guys are, you'll hear about them, you know, um, learn and go to this seminar at this hotel, I've been to several of them. And it's always been something in the back of my mind. So, I had an idea. I told my partner, listen, you know, and we didn't even tell the investor what we were doing because it kind of was like um, discovery, trying it out, and um, didn't want to alarm him either. That because he wasn't on our tail about, you know, update, update, updates. Things were going cool, but I was able to foresee six months later, we were fucked, you know. Um, so we set out to start selling college textbooks on Amazon, Um, college textbooks and other like rare books. I started going to estate sales. I started going to local library sales and we started buying these textbooks and books and maybe two, two months down the line, we didn't sell no books. We actually didn't even end up sending any of the books that we bought to Amazon to put them for sale, you know? But in that time, I was like, you know what? Let's try something else. You know, let's try some health products on Amazon. And and that we actually did start selling some health products. Then we got into just random things. You know, um, I just got into the habit of um, anything when I was a product research, you know, monster just researching hundreds and hundreds of products, making spreadsheets, writing things down. You know. Researching on Amazon how much competition it is, started downloading tools, you know, to see, you know, uh, where the competition is, what's uh, a good product in terms of low competition, high enough demand, medium demand with these health products. But, you know, what I got in the habit of doing is like anytime I also heard anything new. You know, when I was out and about, I just watched what people had in their hands, you know, paying attention to everything, trying to see what is it that I don't know about, you know, um, finding anything new that wasn't on my radar and researching it. So I had just went uh, through a divorce, maybe a few years prior, and I was dating. So I dated this one Spanish woman, and she was telling me about, you know, that she wanted to go get her vagina steamed and you know at the time I was like a gym rat I've been in the gym a lot and after every workout I would go to the steam room the sauna you know because I understood and and read about how you know your skin is your biggest organ and it's good to detox that organ that's why going in the sauna and sweating out a lot of detoxins are good. So anyway, when when homegirl is telling me that, you know, she's going to get her vagina steamed, I'm like I'm thinking as a man, like that has to be dope, has to have a dope effect on a vagina. It's going to detox your vagina. It's only going to be better. Right. I wasn't doing Amazon yet at that time. So fast forward another eight months, I, I meet a Ethiopian girl who's now my fiance and, you know. In Ethiopia, she's telling me, so happens we're back on the vagina steaming and she's been doing it since she was 13. And it's it's deep in the culture of African women. And it's why it's not uncommon to find African women, you know, with 10 or more children because they have this steaming culture where they they steam over herbs and the herbs has a profound effect on the reproductive system, you know. um, And I also noticed things about her, you know, um, that I've never... Um, I've never experienced with other women, like a level of freshness. Everything was just different with her when it came to down there. And I associated with it with the steaming. And of course, at this time, I'm selling Amazon and um, I just started researching it. I started researching V-steaming and I, I realized that it was trending, but it was trending amongst affluent um, affluent Black women, and um, mostly in Georgia and in Dallas. And women were going and paying over a $100. And there were only a few of these spas in the country, they were paying you know, over a $100 in the spa to steam their vagina with these herbs. Even my girl who's Ethiopian, she was going to a holistic woman's house in in brooklyn and getting steam so while i was doing my research i realized it's trending so i I start looking overseas at different manufacturing platforms i was using to buy products and i found something that was selling only in europe europe and asia and and steaming is also in asian culture you know um even the, the the plug they didn't even have a plug for it for the U.S. So I had them, you know, converted for U.S. plug, ordered some samples. And, you know, again, we were selling stuff on Amazon, but it was just okay. Nothing was was hitting hard, you know, but we were just doing all right, not making any profit. And, but we were really learning the Amazon system, you know. Um, So ordered some samples of this at home and it was the first electric at home vaginal steamer we were the first to bring it to market in the u.s um but i ordered like six of them gave one to my girl at the time and was like try it out tell me what you think she came back and was like this is amazing you know well um, i even talked to my mother about it i'm haitian american and my mother being an immigrant i was telling her about it and she's Told me yeah, back in Haiti, you know, after a woman had uh, her menstrual, they would boil castor oil branches and sit on buckets. You know, so it, it was similar to African culture and Asian culture. It was just a, a variation of the herbs that they used. For my mom in Haiti, it was castor oil branches. Anyway, my girl said it was amazing. We placed the first order. Um, we went from you know operating out of my partner's basement to about 7 months after that i had to get a 3000 foot warehouse 3000 square foot warehouse you know and i didn't want to rely i didn't know if this thing was a fad a trend i just didn't want to rely on one successful product and i decided to go into supplements you know and at that time covid was kicking, and we started selling um, supplements, immune support supplements, women's probiotics. Now we have a a line of supplements, Nature's Magic, and then we have Magic V-Steam, the vaginal steaming, maybe about 15 different SKUs on Amazon. Our first year in 2020, we did 2.1 million. Yeah, and I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a, entrepreneur by heart. You know, Um, I, I sometimes do videos and I literally counted how many businesses and this is official businesses that I did either LLC or corporation for from the age of 18. It was 13, 13 businesses. Um, just from leaving Bad Boy to now, there were about four businesses. And that, that doesn't even include maybe about 10 to 12 different hustles, I would call them, you know, um, things just to get by while you're doing, you know, building a business, you know, um, but but that's a, the, the e-commerce story, you know. Um, didn't know that when we started COVID, it was my first time in in e-commerce, you know, I was still very new to it and really didn't understand the trends, but didn't know that COVID actually helped propel us in online shopping. You know, most online shopping companies 3 x during COVID that first year, especially. People, when you think about it, for us, we were selling women's products, mostly, you know, um, but no one could leave their house. You know, there were stimulus checks, checks going out. A lot of women working from home, they're not going to brunch. They're not getting their nails done. They're not paying to get their hair done. So they had all this excess cash, you know, um, and that helped us do the 2.1 million, you know, 2021 things got challenging because business started to level out. We didn't realize that, you know, COVID helped us because we were still new to the online e-commerce space, you know, um, so that was challenging and adjusting and, and we're still here, you know, um, and it's such a beautiful journey. And and I'm also in the NFT world. Also, you know, um, I buy and trade NFTs. Um, I just did a course on um, how artists can turn their music into NFTs and sell them and, and market them.
0: And fellas, don't forget to go to www.blackmansundays.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up, and you'll get information about the guest speakers before the shows. What factors do you use to decide if a business is even worth the investment?
1: I try to. Think of myself as a as a forward thinker. Um, Personally, I'm into technology stuff. It it fascinates me. You know, um, I I just do my homework in terms of the industry. And, you know, one, making sure that something is part of the future and not, you know, there's there's not an industry that either a product or business that. I'm getting into is being phased out. I, I look for indicators of, of that. Um, and then I check, you know there's, and there's different businesses also, you know you have you have product businesses, you have software businesses, you know, um I, I think it's, it's really about the the industry for me, if it's if it excites me, you know, um if I'm naturally fascinated by it, you know, that also Plays a part, but at the same time, I always tell my partners like, if I could figure out how to profitably sell manure, you know, cow manure, you know, I would do it because I I just love business. So it, it really doesn't matter. I, I think for anyone, you just got to see if the if the business makes sense. You know, the barriers to entry. There's c- certain businesses the barriers to entry, especially for Black men, it's harder. To penetrate, you know. So I kind of look at those things also. Um, I I think, in addition, what experience that individual have has in in my case, what experience that I have that can really, you know, make it. Um, an advantage for myself and increase my chances of succeeding. Like when you're so new to something and you have absolutely no experience about nothing in that arena, you know, um, it just makes it harder. Fortunately for me, I think um, coming up and trying so many businesses in my lifetime is given me tons of experience. And even being that bad boy, like managing like my partners were and I'm the president of the company so you know I do the bulk of the heavy lifting and they were amazed at when things were on 100 how much I was able to juggle and something like that it's like looking back at bad boy and at any given time I was you know juggling managing 300 people, you know, managing those relationships, managing, you know, their expectations, managing their relationships with Diddy and the company while negotiating with them. So it, it really helped me. I don't have the stamina that I had then, you know. Um, so to me, this was a kind of light work. Um but I would say for any entrepreneur, those are the kind of things, like first things to really look at, you know, um, take an assessment of yourself and know your strengths, how your strengths are going to play into that particular business. And just really look at the industry and where the industry is, the, the barriers to entry. And, you know, do you have any advantages in the barriers to entry? How much of what you learned being that
0: Bad Boy, being around Puff Daddy, such a mogul, and being around all that talent, how did that mold you and help you with your business?
1: Well, yeah, great question. I think firstly, when you're around someone like Puff, and I was there for 10 years, and just the entire team, when you're around people with, the mindset is unreal for one, you know, back then it was like a no sleep model for me. Did 10 years and like four hours was a great night's sleep. I, I, on average, I worked 65 to 70 hours a week. But when you're around that type of mindset and every company has a culture, our culture was get it done, figure it out and get it done. Whatever it was, if you couldn't figure out everything and get the shit done immediately, you were gone. It's like you were dead. To puff, you know, um, so, but when you're around an entire team that has that mindset all the time, it definitely does something to you. Like, you know, before Bad Boy, I was a go getter. But then, you know, um, I think with anything, like going into Bad Boy, I was intimidated, which caused me to be timid also, you know, there as an intern starting out. But it was small successes that I started to, to, to gain. My personal confidence. And when you're able to survive in an environment like that for 10 years, it just really, really, one, boosted my confidence. And two, shooting for the stars when you're around and you see how certain people live, it, it also gives you, you know, a, a thirst for a certain type of, of, of achievement, achievement, you know, and then surviving all that time there. And I resigned you know, a um, and is in the industry, it's a high turnover job. So to stay with one of the hardest men to work for in the industry for 10 years, it really gave me an extreme amount of confidence again, in if I could pull this off here, if I give myself in my own businesses, even 50% of how I slave here, you know, I could do anything. You know, um, so and and I think that was like one of the biggest things I truly believe if I wanted to build a fucking rocket ship, I could do it. You know, um, that's not what I'm going to do or what I want to do at the moment. But that I think was was one of the the best things that that I left with.
2: So is there a professional failure that you experienced? And if so, how did it make you become a better person?
1: A professional failure? Yeah. Now I know you don't make too many mistakes, but. No, no, no. there's plenty of failures and failures is what I look forward to failures. And, you know, I teach my kids. I'm almost happy when they fail, you know, um, because there's there's so many jewels that come out of it. If you have the right mindset, but shit, talk about one in particular. That's a really tough question. I probably would say back in the bad boy days, I probably would have just negotiated harder. You know, um, I would have negotiated harder, you know, and it's probably, probably one of the things that I didn't like about the music industry. My mother always tells me like she raised I have three brothers, so it's four boys. And she's always like, you know, I raised you guys too nice, like, you know, you're too good of guys, you know, and it sounds like a strange thing. But this is a, a, a hard world that we live in. And Puff is the shrewdest of the shrewd. And, You only get what you negotiate with him. The only time I've gotten raises is when I fucking quit. You know, even the last time when I resigned, they was like, okay, how much, you know, how much is going to (laughs) take? But, you know, I had my business that was doing five figures at the time a month. And I really was just like, this time it's just not about money, guys, because I had quit in the past and just got a raise. You know, and this time they, I think they offered me, um, an additional fifty-five thousand dollars a year, and I was just like, "Nah, I'm gone," you know. Um, and then they just offered me a consulting gig that I held on to for two years that I just couldn't turn it down. The money they was giving me, just like, "All right, I'll hang around," you know. Um, but that didn't last too long, also because the control wasn't there with me as a as a consultant. But I, I would say I would have negotiated harder because I, I would have done, you know, way better. You know, people. Back then, I was at the top of my game, you know, one of the best a and you know, um, in the game and really should have been making a lot more than I was making. You know, it wasn't until I was leaving that they came close to where, you know, my salary should have been. And still, I respect that brother. There's nothing, nothing against him at all. But I, I think, you know, I would have stepped up my negotiations game better.
2: Well, it kind of reminds me of uh, last time I went up about two years ago and uh, spoke with Lenny S., he says, Scott, make sure you always know your worth, get what you're worth, and learn how to negotiate as best you can. So uh, appreciate that insight, though. Thanks. Mm-hmm. You know, Conrad, some of the artists you work with, I mean, we're talking about
0: Loon, 8 Ball, and MJG, Notorious B.I.G. We already said Black Rob, um, Danny Kane, Young Jock, Gorilla Zoe. Is there anyone else I'm not naming?
1: Ah, uh, yes, yeah, a bunch of them. I, I did about 36 albums while I was there. Yeah, Carl Thomas. Carl Thomas, both yeah. of them. Yeah. I see you did the, uh, you helped Diddy with the press play joint. Press yeah, play. Man. Bad Boys 2 soundtrack won a Grammy for the Bad Boys 2 soundtrack mm-hmm.
0: also. I hear from brothers all the time saying their boss is picking on them. They're always having them doing something extra. And you know, I watched Make Another Band. I saw Puff having some of the crew uh, walk to get cheesecake. Did he have you do anything?
1: Well, yeah, I, I don't think no employee should feel like they're being picked on. You know, um, it, it, even for me, there were times that I, I thought they were unreasonable asks, you know, and I still would say so. You know, I remember once almost being fired. I literally was at the table at Thanksgiving at the table in in Queens at that. And he wanted me to go pick up a CD from the studio and drop it off to his house. And his house was in the city. The studio was about 30 blocks from his house and I'm in Queens on Thanksgiving day at my table. And I almost got fired for that, you know? Um, So, but I, I don't think any employee should feel like that's, that's the first thing, you know, and, and for me now having, a staff, you know, um, and there's a fine line, you know. You you gotta respect the business, and I'm I'm very transparent with my team in terms of terms of the business. I'm not there to be buddies with anybody, you know. Um, but I try to treat everyone fair, you know, and be transparent about the business, you know. So when you're transparent, someone shouldn't get. That feeling of I'm being picked on, but they understand that this is what the business needs. So that, that's what I would, would, would say to that. Like, just be transparent, you know, about what's going on in the company and what you need from the employee. So no ask. Seems like, oh, you just fucking with me. And it's different personalities are different. Like, I could have a bad day and not come in and take it out on people. Some people just, you know, they'll have a bad day and then you're going to have a bad day because they had a bad day. And I think that's something that you got to be conscious of because, you know, depending on what kind of business, like your employees and your team is the lifeline of the business a lot of times. And, you know, um, having disgruntled employees is, is, is not a good thing. You know, and at the same time, one thing I learned is that you hire slow and fire fast, you know, take time to to hire the right people that's right for the team. At the same time, if you hire someone and it's a mistake, you got to get them out of there because it only takes one person to, you know, destroy the culture of a company. And that can happen very fast. This show is about generational
0: wealth, being able to have some assets to pass down to the next generation. Some of the brothers own LLCs. There's brothers that have incorporations. There's brothers that are just thinking about owning a business that haven't put it into a light yet. What advice would you give for brothers that just need to kickstart their business?
1: I'd say go for it. Go for it 150%. If the business makes sense to you and you did your homework, start. I can't even call it a curse, but I, I called it a superpower at, at one time for myself, but it's it really shouldn't be. But for, I just never scared to fuck up, you know? So I would say, you guys, the thing that, bothers me about, you know, I'll talk to people and they have great ideas is just the starting part, you know, like if you literally can't start because it's all financial and that kind of business that you have is, is a like truly financial. I also think that there's things that you can do to, to get around that depending on a business. If you want to open a restaurant and you can't open the restaurant, start in your fucking house and start making deliveries and, and shit like that or having people pick it up until you get to the restaurant or until you get to the food truck. So, you know, um, but it's so important to start and fuck up, make mistakes, learn from your mistakes and get better. The longer you take to start, the more you're delaying fucking up because you're going to fuck up. Those mistakes are valuable. It helps you grow. You know, hopefully they're not mistakes that kills the business, you know, but a lot of times they won't be, you know, um, but to get there, you have to start, you know, a lot of people sit on things and sometimes like I've had ideas and not every idea, you got to know the difference. And this is also the thing of like starting and fucking up, you know, you start to build an instinct in terms of sometimes I'll have an idea and sometimes it's good to just sit on an idea for months. Circle back to it, you know, let life in the universe bring you back to it. Do your homework, you know, on it. Over time, see how things transcend or change in whatever industry that you're doing your homework about. But, you know, um, getting the actual start to start to make mistakes and improve on your mistakes. If you delay that, then you're delaying your success. You know, and people will get, entrepreneurs, you'll get way farther in life as a business person, you know, by starting, fucking up, you know, rather as opposed to just waiting, you know, waiting, too much planning, too much research, that shit could turn into years and then you totally forget about the idea, you know, and you might have another idea. So, and some people just go through that cycle, that nothing gets started. It's just a bunch of good ideas. Some of them are trash ideas. But you got to just get started on something somehow, sell something, sell something fucked up to learn that it's fucked up and fix what's fucked up about it. You know what I'm saying? Real talk.
0: What would you like your legacy to be 100 years from now?
1: Just as a, 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 a truth seeker, a a go-getter, you know, um, a fighter. I've, I've accomplished a good amount of things that some people would be happy with, but you know, I'm, I'm really not. Um, true financial security, um, is the goal and, and that's, you know, true financial security. And when we talk about generational wealth, truly having that, and, and that means it can't be taken, Away from you, a portfolio so deep and so long that could be passed on, you know, generations with trust in place for for, for generations. And and I am I'm, I'm gonna be the head of that for my family.
3: So so check it out. So like one of the things that I heard you say um, is that you uh you know is it, the thing about you know uh, hire slow, fire fast. So so what I wanna ask you is just from a just from a business standpoint. How important do you think like building a healthy organizational culture and like having, you know, the right people in the right positions is to, you know, the value and like the success of your business. And then how much time do you spend actually investing in your people?
1: When you say investing in your people.
3: I don't mean just like money. I mean like time, you know, um, helping them with recommendations, advising them, potentially maybe even giving them like, you know, uh, some kind of a uh, profile development activities. It's not, not just necessarily money.
1: Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's paramount. It's paramount, brother, because I mean, that's, that's the company. And I think, you know, um, it's, it's another thing about someone like Puff. He was brilliant at picking a team. You know, um, it was like the Chicago Bulls in its prime. And, you know, I'm not a big sports fan, but like being a general manager and picking players and knowing strengths of weaknesses of players, you know, and 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 calling the plays along with the coach, it, it's it, it's paramount. So I think, you know, um, it takes being a leader and being a leader's a level of strength and humanity. You want to have with your people. Um, I think it takes really great training. Also, you know, depending on the kind of business that you have, um, like systems in business. There's a book that I read. I forgot the name of it, but it was you know talking a lot about systems and systems in in business. Um, it's the mechanics of of the business, and you know, um, it's it's important to train and have these systems in place and people in the right place, you know, and and being just human with them in terms of um, when you're dealing, having employees, everyone has a life. Everyone has problems in life. Your problems in life are not supposed to disrupt what's happening in the business, but it's a part of life and thus becomes a part of the business. And being a leader, you know, to a team, to some some degree, you will have to, and, and it comes into management, and management style, you're going to absorb some of that, of what your team is going through in their personal life, and vice versa, you know, um, and that's where management com- comes into play, because sometimes you're going to be the, the psychologist, whether you get a psychologist or not, you know, um, and and I think helping, your team to grow as people helps them grow in their positions at the job. And God willing, you're able to grow the company that's, you know, equally important to growing a company. Because you're growing a company, you need to hire more people. When you hire more people, you know, you have to appoint managers to, you know, train the new people. And, you know, if you don't have proper tight systems in place and trained that person who was on the bottom properly how is he going to train the new people coming in so it's extremely important and all of this is you know business dependent there's all kind of different businesses and sizes of businesses and and numbers of employees but even if it's you know one to two to 20, you know, these things are, are very important. Any
2: other questions? Okay, yeah, I got one real quick. Uh, kind of related to the egos uh, in the work system. You know, sometimes you'll be on a team where you're kind of not really feeling the person because maybe they want to be the superstar on the team or they don't treat people right. But you kind of know that, okay, I need this person on the team. Do you have any professional advice on dealing with egos and managing egos
1: to kind of get the overall goal accomplished? Well, yeah, I think it's, it's really focusing on the 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 business goals, like, and I tell my partners this all the time, like, I I won't even let my mother come, you know, in between me and the goals of the business with, you know, um, different things. And I use her as example, but family members, you know, um, so as long as that person has the goals of the business, that's the top priority, that should be the priority for everyone over everything and that's over everything always asking the question what's best for the business Is this the right decision for the business because some people with those egos it don't be what's best for the business a lot of times it's what's best for their ego you know and 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 it's like character flaws but this is dealing with human beings, like you're always going to come up with people with character flaws. Hopefully it's not the management. A lot of times it is the management, you know. Um, But, you know, I'm a true testament to things like that. Whoever there's their manager, if they're not absolutely killing it for what's the business goals, they're not going to be around for too long. You know, um, if they have a good enough manager who's above them that could pick up on that. You better be killing it. If you the asshole, you better be a beast at everything or you're out of here. Talk about your upbringing and the
0: lessons that you learned from your parents and how that shaped you into getting in the music industry.
1: Yeah, I I would say for me, growing up in my household, I came from a middle-class family, Haitian immigrants, came here with with nothing, and I, I watched them build. The ill contrast in my house my father, when he was back home, again, Haitian immigrants, he was an attorney. He was a lawyer in Haiti, you know, um, so super book spark, smoke, spoke four languages fluently, you know, went to Africa um, and he was a teacher. He loved teaching. Um, when they came here, to America, he re-educated himself, got a master's and above. My, my dad was a scholar. You know, he had a, a small translating business, wasn't really the much of the entrepreneur, but because he was fluent in different languages, he he translated um, like legal documents and things like that for immigrants. He translated like French to English, Spanish to English, and he was a, a bilingual teacher. He taught, you know, he was actually the head of the bilingual department at the high school he taught at, but he taught Spanish and French, you know, but also spoke fluent um, German. My mother, now my father in the board of ed, like the highest pay you can get is like you get a master's, but then you go, I think it's 30 to 60 credits above your master's and then you max out in terms of your pay. So he was like 30 credits away from a PhD. He was a very smart man, you know, a very quiet man and just books. That was his thing. My mother was the gangster in the house. You know, uh, my mother, her father, my grandfather was a politician in Haiti, a powerful politician in Haiti. So he, he came from um, a, a very well-to-do, wealthy upbringing. You know? But because my, my father didn't want to go into politics, my grandfather wanted him to go into politics, And he turned his back on my mom when my father didn't want to go into politics and they came here and they struggled. So my mother was an entrepreneur. I guess she got that from her her dad being a business. So I had a contrast of my father who was the traditional route, all the education, steady, decent job as a teacher, you know, before houses were like, Crazy prices; they were able to buy a house, make the mortgage payments. But I saw my mother come, and you know she went to beauty school, opened a, a, a beauty salon, and I saw her work the shit out of salon. Like literally, come home when this is before Dominicans got into the game, before Africans got into the braiding game. Like she had a, a really lucrative beauty salon and a pretty large one at that. So I saw her bringing in the cash and worked so hard, She a lot of times she couldn't even count the money and swear to God, she would fall asleep with money and ask us to count it, the kids to count it. You know, um, I would count the money and then I started to take it a step further. I was started, and this is at me at 13 years old, start to give her suggestions on how to budget the money and things to do with it. So I, I, it, it was that contrast and seeing my father, you know, um, work and my mother bust her ass, and a lot of times, without the traditional education, make more than my father, you know, um, and I think it just lit a fire in my ass, you know, I started, I taught myself how to cut hair, by 14, I was cutting everyone hair on a block, you know, um, and then I went to her shop, you know, started cutting hair in the shop, and in between cutting hair, sweeping up, doing whatever, she helped me open a barbershop right around the corner from her beauty salon because my clientele, you know, and I really watched my mother. I watched, my mother was a hustler. I would watch a customer walk in, you know, the customer might just want to come in and get a color, you know, by the time she left, my mother sold her four other things, you know, um, and I watched that hustle mentality from her. So I opened up a barbershop around the corner. It lasted about six months. I was too immature for it. I had a a dickhead partner who ran off with his half of the rent. We ended up closing a few years later, Opened up a barbershop, maybe four times the size of that with beauticians, nails, a bunch of barbers. We did really good. We had a competitor across the street, a year and a half, they got shut down. You know, um, we had music entertainers coming to the shop, you know, um, and it's from there that I made the tradition, the transition into the music business. I had a, a DJ, you know, that saw what I was doing with the business. And part of my strategy for the business is there was a club next door. I started throwing parties at the club next door to raise, you know, um, just to promote the barbershop, really. You know, kept throwing the parties and I, w- I was using the, the same DJ and the DJ took notice of the, the barbershop popping. It was like, will you manage me? You know, um, I took on that job managing a local DJ, I plastered, and I would just go out of my pocket, pay for, for, you know, flyers and stickers. I plastered him everywhere. Then local artists, motherfucker, you doing shit like that, manage me. Before I knew it, I had a crew, a crew of local artists, DJ, music producers, but I wasn't really in the game. You know, I was playing on a small level. I was promoting parties and I begged for an internship. Um, and got an internship at Bad Boy, and and that's how it took off. But it it really was just watching the, the the difference between my mom and my dad, and I I just saw like, listen, okay, if if you start a business, at least if I bust my ass, my dad maxed out in terms of you know raises and and shit like that. And border Ed, you get a small raise every year, but I always hated the fact of the thought of having a job and someone else controls. You know they have to feel I'm good enough to get the next position and good enough to get you know um, more money. As opposed to being an entrepreneur, you're in the driver's seat. If you're smart enough and you work hard enough, sky's the fucking limit. You know, um, and 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 that was that was just my mom lit the fire in me
0: what advice would you give for brothers that aren't applying themselves they're working a nine to five they're not really happy with that they have ideas they may be afraid they may be afraid to put their money behind their business being afraid of failure what advice would you give
1: yeah yeah i I think you know most people in general i think part of the problem is that and this is an, an america thing you know um in school, it's really a setup to work. Whether you went to college or not, this starts from kindergarten, you know, that the entire system is to prepare you to work and get a job. So, most people and brothers included, especially, are programmed for that, you know, and, you know, you come from most families that your family was programmed for that. You know, um, and it's 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 funny when I talk about my mother as an entrepreneur, always Haitians are this thing with school and get a degree in a, a good job till this day I hear it. You know, um <laughs> even with a business a, a seven-figure business, it's like it's just so ingrained in her culture. Of education is, is important. And what I, you know, try to explain to her, and she's of age, so you know, she doesn't really get it. You know, and, and with my kids, I, I do stress education. If you don't have the fire to, to be an entrepreneur, you know, yeah, go get a degree, you know, but at the same time, I talk to them, get the degree and figure out how to use that degree to start your own business. Like don't just settle for working, you know, your entire life. Um but I, I really think it's it's something that's programmed programmed and ingrained and it's it's unfortunate. It's 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 a tough thing to break out of. And I, I really think it comes down to for a lot of people, what's your why? You know, um do you want it bad enough? And and this entrepreneur told a story about a, 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 a dog that every day the dog, he drove by the dog's, you know, house, the people's house and the dog was sitting on the porch and the dog is just howling, howling, every day the dog is howling, you know. Um, so one day he just was puzzled and the, the owner was outside, he went and asked the owner, why is your dog howling every day? he said, oh, he's sitting on a nail, you know, he said, so why doesn't the dog just get up, you know, but with a lot of people, it's the howling and the complaining, and they're, they're sitting on a nail, but they just refuse to get up, and I think it's just, it's just a program thing, and it comes down to how bad do you want it, how bad does it hurt, you know, um, you know, sometimes it takes losing that job that propels you to, to making those decisions, and it's, 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 Good to have a job, especially when you're building a business, but at some point you got to step out on faith and and go full time, depending on the kind of business. Because some businesses are just businesses are meant to be just a side business and it gives you some additional income that helps. You know, other businesses takes a lot more, you know, um time and commitment where you're gonna have to step away and and make a choice. But it's really about how bad do you want it, how bad does it hurt, you know, and how bad does does that living check to check, you know, um, really fuck with you
2: someone told me one time the more you stay in the comfort zone you're setting yourself up for disaster so sometimes you got to step your ass out there and really just go for what you want to do you know what i'm saying uh, and if you're happy if you're making a living doing it and you're able to make hands beat but you're doing what you really love anyway it's kind of like the uh the hedgehog concept it's like you're doing something you love to do making money doing something you're great at and i think that's that's real freedom and it gives you uh probably happiness because you probably could tell me more because you are doing it, you know what I'm saying? But you know, that's that slavery concept that they're preparing us for from grade school all the way to like right now, I'm getting my doctorate, right? And it's not the work for anyone. It's just mother oh, right. shit that I want to do. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. When I get <laughs> Yeah, but uh thanks for the advice on that, man, because a lot of people they're really just scared to get out there. It's like they really, the society really groomed us to be slaves, to work for other people, and help other people get money, instead of doing what the hell we really want to do. And, you know, really
1: nothing's uh,
2: guaranteed out here anyway. So you might as well take a stab at
1: it. Yeah, man. And then I'll add to that, that, you know, everyone has to remember, we, we're living in some terrible times. There's a lot going on in the world. And And one thing about entrepreneurs throughout history, it's always been the merchant class, even through economic turmoil who, you know, um, makes their way. You know, with with technology, by the year 2030, they're eliminating millions of jobs. And it's said to be about 46% of those jobs are jobs um, that minority people hold. And technology and AI, artificial intelligence, Computers and robots are, are taking over people's jobs. So, you know, unfortunately, some people won't get it until it's too late and then you, you lose your job and you don't have a job to turn to. But I think it's it's important for entrepreneurs to get started now on things. So when the, and it's, it's already starting, you know, um, but you, you don't get left behind where, you know, you're forced to go, do some retraining and, and can't find a job, you know, and can't feed your family, you know, forced to, to retrain yourself and go back to school when it's when you're late in the game and really fucked up because you were forced to, but, you know, computers is, is taking over the world.
0: Any questions for Conrad before we let him go?
3: Mr. Conrad, thank you so much for uh, sharing with us and uh, giving us all this inf- good information that you have ge- uh, given, but uh, to attest to your, uh, your last point uh, about automation, um, uh, I'm on accounting by trade, and it's even uh, entering into to my field where we have bots that can do, you know, some of the m- more manual processes that, you know, were are taking, uh, you know, lower level clerk accountants um, uh, a whole month, weeks to do. So it's already there. So you're spot on what you're saying by 2030. You know, a lot of professions, especially ones that, uh, you know, our people feel are going to be replaced, you know, by our artificial intelligence.
1: Yeah. And you would think it's like a, 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 just a blue collar thing. And, yeah. I, and I'm so glad you, you pointed that out because it's, it's really not. Even medical doctors are going to mm-hmm. get hit. You know, um, when, when you talk about 20 years, we might have like robots and computers being the judge, you know, and handing down sentences. Is that real? You know, um, so yeah, no one, no one is, is really safe.
3: Absolutely, and I also wanted to, you know, you uh, you 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 really honed in and, and and touched me when you know you were talking about uh, being an entrepreneur. It sounded like you're, you know, you're in your household, your mom and your dad. Uh, it sounds like you were kind of like the. Um, I don't know if you you know have read anything that Robert Kiyosaki has written, but he wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad, right? And mm-hmm. you know, he had his rich dad that was a entrepreneur, and then his Real dad, you know, was, you know, classically trained, right? And so one of the things, and, you know, especially with some of the things that I'm doing and stepping out of, you know, um, the the tradition, traditions of uh, being a, an employee, high-paid employee, is that, you know, in as an employee, corporate America and, you know, or wherever you work, um, is the fear of failure. Failure is not rewarded, you know, and when you're working for somebody, right, it's punished, right? And so you can't take that same mind from, frame, or I wouldn't think, into entrepreneurship, you know, because when you're an entrepreneur, failure means you're trying, right? At least, at the very least. And so when you fail, you know, you need to, feel, like you said, you know, you need to fail real quick, right? So that you can get to the process of generating income and doing the doing what you do. But it's kind of like, you know, those who are transitioning, I guess, out, you know, from being an employee to becoming that entrepreneur, they're afraid of that failure because in Job world, you see what I'm saying? You can't fail. It, no, you that's a, that's,
1: a, that's that's a great point. I, I never thought of that, but that's an excellent point, and it's it probably is a big part of the problem.
2: I just want to know where where can we get your products at, Mr. Dimash? I mean, it sounds like some good products you're pushing on Amazon. So
1: oh, um, well, Magic V Steam—that's that's for the ladies. But I do say, fellas, do yourself the favor. It's like buying your girl a Victoria's Secrets. It's for her, but it's also for you. Um you can search Magic V Steam um and it's a vaginal spa is what it's called she she would love it and um also our supplement brand is Nature's Magic on Amazon Ok, okay. Do you do any investing do you do any stocks bonds
0: you mentioned ETFs earlier
1: Um yeah I've done stocks mutual funds and stuff like that as of late, I would say the past two years, I'm more crypto and NFTs um, and buying NFTs, trading NFTs, flipping NFTs. Um, before the year is out, I probably will launch an NFT project, uh, but I'm, I'm very bullish on um, crypto right now. So you're doing more crypto than stocks? Right now, for the moment, it's, it's all crypto and NFTs. Absolutely. All right, when you think in crypto, we talking what Bitcoin, uh crypto.com, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solano. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you know, there's thousands of cryptocurrencies. Yeah. I, I love about ten of them, you know. Um some of the gaming and metaverse uh cryptos, metaverse verse related cryptos is what I've started to, started to dabble with um, but ethereum is a stable bitcoin is a stable um and um it's uh, all, obviously it's good to have a, a diverse portfolio but the market is kind of crazy right now and um you know what crypto and bitcoin in particular has been the top yielding asset class for the last 10 years you know um, and it's just the future so when you have um an asset class giving you amazing returns um, and it's not going anywhere I, I tend to, to lean in you know and put, and put a lot of my focus there
0: thanks Conrad for blessing black men's sundays today we appreciate you we appreciate your time like we tell everybody you could be anywhere in the world but you're here with us especially on a sunday
2: Check it.